Hello again, Emerging Cricket fans. Another bumper show this week, but before we jump in, a shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From as little as $2 US a month as a patron, you can access bonus content at Emerging Cricket and have a say on the show's direction. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket. On today's show, we discuss goings on from all around the world and we sit down again with Fabio Marabini in Italy. Hello and welcome to another Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Bezik and with me are the usual suspects again. First, Nick Skinner. Nick, how are you? I'm alright. I've just finished reading Stephen King's It this week, uh, which I've been going on for about a year now. So that was quite an achievement. It's uh, about a million pages long. Fascinating. What I have so many questions. <laughs> you, you just there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> yeah. Here, here we were thinking we'd have a, a, and don't worry, everyone. We do we do have a guest coming up. We got part two of uh, Fabio, but I do want to talk about Fabio as well. But Nick, what brought? I, I don't even know where to begin. What, what <laughs> there's there's two questions. What yeah. What what brought it upon you to go and and read it? And why weren't you doing emerging cricket work? <laughs> Correct. That was my second question. Well, I downloaded it onto my phone about a year ago to have some Danish to practice with just, you know, before I go to bed or to relax every now and then. And so I've just been chipping away at it. Why it specifically? I There was a reason. I, I can't actually remember. It's been so long since I started reading it. But it was an uh, interesting enough book. I, I think it does some cool stuff with, with memory and the idea of uh, your perception of things as a child and then how that changes as an adult and the bonds of childhood friendship and yeah it has it has some good themes but you know i i wouldn't necessarily recommend reading it because it is so long do things get lost in the danish translation well i mean i haven't read the english one so i, I don't know but the, it's it's funny actually reading about small town america in danish um, <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting but yeah it was it was good sort of trash reading that i would practice i don't know when i'm when i'm reading if it's a book i actually want to enjoy i wouldn't want to read a translation so that's kind of the logic i think was it was like well i'd never read this in english so i'll, I'll give it a go in danish yeah not not a problem that i have uh, yeah uh, in that in in that in that one language <laughs> so i like the, the big long review except you don't recommend it apart from your big long review about the worst movie ever at astra and then you you know then you recommended it no i liked that yeah, I know, I know, and that's that's why I think you're a weirdo. <laughs> you you surprise us every week, Nick. We would not change you for the world. Uh, of course, we would not be complete without our third member, Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? Third man again, huh? I'm not reading Stephen King. I've got nothing much to report. You know, it's borders are opening soon. Booked my flights for uh, Christmas time to get down to Sydney to see family and friends, which will be good. Bit a bit annoying somewhat that the borders reopen. I had to make a decision. It's like, oh, guys, I was looking forward to having that taken out of my hands. Um, so that'd be good. Family, friends, ticking a few boxes there. It's been a while, as it has been for many, many people around the country and the world. So I'm not going to take that for granted. Yes. Going to take every every moment um, I have there before back to work, back up here in. Briz Vegas in the new year, but um, I don't know. Is there any chance of us seeing each other? I, I was just thinking the same thing. The stars may align. I don't want us to get our hopes up, but there is a possibility that we will all be in the same place at the same time. 
we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I feel like we have the same problem every year, like because I'm I'm going up to Queensland for Christmas, but oh. yeah. That's... Well, if you need somewhere to stay, there's a there's a flat in West End if if, if you need it. <laughs> um, you know, it's great that everyone's listening to us organising our, our Christmas plans, mm-hmm. but um, I guess well we've still got a few to go before Christmas. But I you know sending love out to all. I know we got listeners all around the world where they not be may not be able to do that. So um, mm. look, I hope we're bringing a little bit of a respite. It's quite easy being here, especially in Brisbane, to, to sort of lose sight of everything else is going out there. It's, it's like a sort of parallel lives, really, with, with what else is happening. So all the best to everyone out there in, in podcast land. But um, no, otherwise, okay. You know, it's been a year of upheaval for many reasons. But uh, Daniel, you've finished the WBBL, so I'd like to welcome you back. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, welcome back. Um, it's good to see you replying to WhatsApps and reading emails now. <laughs> yes. um, so what's coming up for you? You've got Big Bash? Yes, I'm undertaking roles for both television stations that have the rights to the tournament as well, which wasn't the original case. It was just going to be Fox, but Channel 7 were, were happy with what I did there and they wanted to keep me on. So there'll be a few trips to Melbourne in the studios there and, and, a, and a few grounds around the country. Looking forward to it. Be interesting with a couple of new things brought in, an extra overseas player for, for every team as well. So a little bit more spice and I think it's great. We've got crowds here in, in Australia. And again, as you said, Tim, many places around the world don't have that luxury as yet, but it does add another dimension. I know what people have said about sport without fans and and yeah looking forward to it it's going to be great hopefully uh, we'll see plenty of Sandeep Lamachane after Christmas and into the new year we know he's he's been COVID positive and with the national team squad but he'll be out here he'll quarantine and he'll be ready for early January according to my mail anyway that's I suppose a, an early news roundup before the news roundup that we do get but coming up on, on today's show we have part two with, with Fabio Marabini and talking to a couple of people who listened to last week's show that they loved uh, what he brought to the show and we've got more of that coming up this week so powerful I think boys and I think you guys will agree having an Italian voice an authentic Italian voice talking about cricket with such passion enthusiasm and depth as, as Marabini had and he also had arguably the best bookcase that we've had uh, in terms of the zoom calls <laughs> oh but this is the thing and I'm glad Tim you, you've brought the, the audio effect into it because I don't want to give away too much for next week but no tell him okay we, we've got a certain Gideon Haig next week and his book case he might usurp Fabio Marabini's bookcase dress sense not so much <laughs> oh definitely Marabini is street oh, no. yeah, he wasn't wearing a three piece suit so that's... if we could put Marabini in front of the Hague bookshelf with the wisdoms <laughs> it's basically just like stop the fight yeah <laughs> As I said, we'll we'll have Fabio in a few moments' time, but we do have a little bit of news, boys, that we, we do want to wrap this week, and we've got another member of a full member organization jumping on the USA recruitment drive, I suppose you could call it. Corey Anderson this week announced that he has intentions to head over to the USA Major League Cricket. There's been a number of players over the last 12 months, even probably going back a little bit further, who have done the same. We've talked about the likes of Aslam, Dane Pete, Jihad Mubarak was another name that was thrown out, talking to Peter De La Pena about that. But again, this is, I suppose, a consequence of, of what USA are trying to do. Uh, we have seen a number of USA national team players come over from full member areas. And Nick, I want to start with you because you've been doing, I suppose, an introduction to research research into this with 
the USA and, and having players come from other parts of the world to join their national team and qualify for Team USA uh, in comparison to, to other countries in the associate world who perhaps bemoan the fact that the USA do have this almost as a planned strategy. Looking to say Corey Anderson, who's been pretty much off the radar in terms of New Zealand circles now for, well, at least 12 months, probably going back a little bit further. We know injuries have, have hampered his career. But looking at this recruitment move and, and Anderson specifically in the context of all of them, what do you think he actually brings to the USA setup in, in a few years once he does qualify for the US national team? Well, he, yeah, you talk about those injuries. He seems to have been quite fragile over the last little while, uh, which doesn't bode well. Um, you know, you, you want a guy who's going to be able to stay on the park. In terms of his performances on the field, you know, looking at his numbers for the recent uh, CPL, he was really struggling. And even, you know, earlier in the year, the domestic T20 comp in New Zealand, he, yeah, didn't really do that much. So I think he's been suffering from diminishing returns on the field as well. And, you know, obviously, I don't know how much of that is to do with the injuries and various other things. But see, this is the thing. When they're rec- recruiting ex-full member players, usually they're ex-full member players because they're not performing very well in the full member team. And and so if you're picking guys who ha- are struggling or, you know, perhaps uh, past their prime, like you mentioned, Yehan Mubarak there from Sri Lanka, he's already moved into coaching in Colombo. I think he coaches for... Uh, one of the private schools, uh, the the cricket team there. And uh, yeah, I don't know if, if getting these guys into the team is, is going to actually provide that much of a boost in terms of results. This this is what you said I was the introduction of the research I'm looking at is basically I'm going to try and figure out a way to compare the performances of these people with you know full member experience to those who haven't had it. And I'm not convinced it's going to make a huge difference because I just think really if you're coming over and your career has finished somewhere else, usually that's for a pretty good reason. Corey Anderson's already in the USA, isn't he? Hasn't he been there Mm. for a while? Yeah, his partner, I think, is American. So theoretically, he's already started his qualification and he's already been winding down his time at the same time since his last full member game. Yeah, look, look, there's an easy way to take it here is a passport player, you know, recruit franchise team, blah, blah, blah. But let's be honest, English cricket has basically imported players for <laughs> as, as and I mean this in the nicest possible way the strength of their county system brought players from all around the world to relocate as professionals there and yeah majority of them from Commonwealth countries granted and also with other uh, other agreements with other you know the European um, Union and the, the continental agreement as well and players moved there played for professional teams in the UK qualified for England played for England so how is this any different to the USA now putting in a professional tournament that attracts players from around the world, albeit at this stage it's players on the fringes because the amount of money that's up there for the taking and people come there, strengthen the game there and come in the system, you know. So look, if we're not going to tear strips off the UK for it, then the same for the USA. So not in that sense, it's free market. If it's a professional tournament that strengthens the game there, I think our issue is what this does to the flow of cricketers coming through minor league major league into the American team and is it going to be a kid that doesn't pick up a cricket bat because they see their chances to play for America diminished because they see all these players being imported and and I think that's the balance that the USA needs to get right players are switching allegiances and moving over there that's great but there needs to be systems in place that keeps a healthy tension 
between players coming in and players coming up through the system. And I know this is something that Nate Hayes in, in North Carolina is going to, going to write about and he's got some great ideas and putting it all together to publish on emerging cricket. But whether of how it's uh, local players are paid, reserve places in teams for American players and American juniors and all, all the way up. You know, once you start picking a national team, it's associate cricket, you need to win cricket matches. But it's the system that, that's feeding into that that needs to support local players the whole way through. And that's, that's every local player. That's not saying that we only want Americans that haven't come from expat cricket loving families I mean anyone coming through the local system because you're not going to be able to galvanize an American cricket community unless an American cricket community can unite under a team that represents them and I know the points that Jamie Harrison brings up saying that you know a winning team will get people interested in it and I don't necessarily see the world like that. If my national team is winning, therefore I want to be part of it. If that's enough, then maybe we're wrong. But I think there's got to be a balance there because you don't have an established sporting culture there that around cricket and around a national team. You don't even have the cricketers there. I know we've talked about it a lot, but you don't even have the cricketers there knowing necessarily that there's a national pathway. And that's what the major league's supposed to do. So look, it's a it's an exciting situation for USA cricket. If you're there, professional sport, it's the biggest sporting market in the world. Great. But I think if you're trying to grow the game at the same time, that's the challenge they have. I, I continue to be positive about the ideas that the new governing body in USA is putting in place because at least minor league and major league cricket could be seen as a bridge in the gap between the national team and local grassroots cricket. We talk to, to people involved and people who observe USA cricket all the time. And the big issue is is something, Tim, that you mentioned just then. There isn't really an endeavor from the, the lower leagues and, and the, the feeder grassroots competitions around the country because there's no connection between that and the national team. And that's not necessarily down to the current governing body's malpractice because I think they've just inherited that situation and, and people are trying to throw so many things together. I think the one issue with USA Cricket over the the number of years that people have tried to make it work is that there are so many different people trying to accomplish the same thing through their own individual projects. There's never been a unified res response and a unified effort to, to bring it all together. So what I'm hoping that is achieved by all of this, and, and I think Major League Cricket will actually be a big part of this, you know, once it does get off the ground and, and we hopefully see play in, into the future. And we know there are so many issues at the moment that threaten to curtail that but for me I, I think that a national team can only be as strong as, as its domestic league underneath at a national level and then underneath that you have a group of leagues around that promote a certain quality and endeavor to be in that next level above now for the USA again we've talked about it in multiple episodes they are you know everything's above board here in terms of the national team and, and players qualifying. They're the ICC regulations at the moment. And I'm quite liberal and open-minded about all of that. I think if, if you, as long as you're adhering to those rules, I think it's fair game. And the reason why I actually think it's fair game in this situation is probably a point that Nick, you've brought up and, and you're actually looking into because I, I don't think necessarily that it's given USA cricket in terms of its national team an unfair advantage on the rest of the field internationally. I think we've seen it at at World Cricket League 2, we've seen it in, in multiple competitions over the course of the last few years. The teams of players who are largely from native domestic backgrounds versus the USA have competed admirably against the USA, if not been better than the USA. So I think people are probably a little bit unnecessarily agitated about what the USA is trying to do. And you look, 
You go to Nepal, you saw them go over to Nepal, Nepal 100% native players, they get bundled out for 35. Like, <laughs> and we, we saw that team, you know, Rusty Tehran, a number of, Ian Holland was another, another player there. Ian Holland, who in a weird kind of tenuous link with Nepali cricketer now in Australia, Sunam Gautam. Ian Holland actually beat out Sunam Gautam to the Victorian Premier Cricket first grade player of the year when they both played in the same competition. <laughs> That's a good stat, Bez. But Sunam Gautam is an infinitely better player in Nepali conditions than Ian Holland. Did he go on Cricket Superstar, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and he definitely didn't. Yeah, Ian Holland won Cricket Superstar as well. So for me, you know, it's it's a horses for courses situation. There are so many factors in this, people barking up the wrong tree. But to bring it back to USA again... They can do whatever they want. If they think it, 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 as long as it's above board and they think it's going to help cricket in their country, honestly, go go for it. For more info, head over to emergingcricket.com for the latest news in the emerging game. But for now, part two with Fabio Marabini. Hi, everyone. This is Paul van Meekeren, fast bowler from Nederland Elftal, and you're listening to Emerging Cricket Podcast. So you've sort of covered a few threads from this already, but the development efforts more generally in Italy, um, you know, there's spreading the game around the country, which which you talked about, you know, outside a couple of major cities, and there's the schools trying to get into into the younger kids and activating the latent potential of, you know, the million-plus Asian heritage people living in Italy. And then, of course, there's the, the business angle you talked about. So what's the way that Italy is trying to bring all these threads together and, and have a sort of a coherent plan to develop the game? For me, you know, I, I'm not jumping from one thing to the other. I'm trying to put a plan uh, in place uh, and cover the different areas. Of course, there's another main subject that uh, I've been talking about, which is the national teams and, uh, and the technical development. But uh, if I take a look at the development, we need to look at what we want to be in 10 years. Uh, for us, you know, um, if you want to take cricket into schools and have positive feedback, uh, you cannot simply go there, spend a couple of hours with the kids and then uh, not being able to bring them uh, to a proper ground with uh, something that you can uh, really compare with uh, with what you have from other sports facilities. It's a pity. So uh, that's uh, the real step we need to do for the next uh, 10 years. I think uh, that's why we need to cover the different areas. Because uh, if you want to develop youth cricket, you need to set a target for the kids. Now, they need to see where they want to be in 10 years. Uh, if you want to develop uh, ladies cricket, you need to make them aware of the straight pathway they can have for global events like uh, ICC tournaments or world championships. If I want to develop uh, a facility, I need to convince my board uh, that the investment will pay a reward into technical growth overall and uh, numbers growth overall. So I'm trying to focus not just my my ideas, but also to convince other members of the board that it must be some kind of crossfire pointing to the same goals that are there in the middle. And uh, if you set goals, of course, you need to approach it as an investment and, and spend money. As you know, 
you cannot avoid to spend money. The mission is uh, is clear, the statute is clear, and if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. So paying a coach is necessary. You know, uh, when I embraced the role in my country, the, the position of the employees were not clear. And that was painful to understand, painful also in terms of money, because the budget wasn't set in order to have happy people working for the federation. And if you do, your people working in your federation is not happy, how can you develop cricket from there? So we set the, we, we, we started with a new governance. We, we managed to change uh, contracts for, for the employees and we started to pay them uh, properly. Then, uh, then we, we managed to set goals for every single area and uh, we have specific commissions for school, for youth cricket, for women's cricket, facilities and uh, for uh, rules and regulations. Uh, we have a technical uh, director now, which we already had, but the, the, it was time where the technical uh, director did everything. He was also managing the statistics uh, of four different or five different championships. So now we are uh, we are uh, really approaching everything very much professional. We have now set uh, specific goals, as, as I said you earlier. Uh, technically, we, we know where we want to be in 10 years. And uh, if possible, of course, I would say it's the Olympics. But uh, in any case, uh, is uh, I think that Italy, by the technical side at the moment, could field a team uh, which is among the 15 best, uh, uh, say between place number 12 and uh, number 15. We have been playing in the past at the same level of uh, Oman, uh, Cricket Ireland, uh, Scotland, and so on, uh, Netherlands. So we still could play at the same level. Of course, we rely on passport orders at the moment, but at least with passport orders, we could set a benchmark and uh, with the new facilities, we could help to raise the standard locally at the same level of the passport holders we have in Australia or in the UK. Of course, we need some uh, guidance for that. We have our own ideas, but we think that we will be able in two to three years to put a specific brand of cricket, of Italian cricket, the same way we have uh, for football, and I hope it will be better than, uh, than the rugby. <laughs> uh, with all due respect we, to, to, to our rugby coaches. <laughs> Uh, I think uh, we have big uh, improvement margins and um, there's a lot of room, especially for Italy in the shorter formats, I would say. <clears throat> but I'm quite sure that the biggest improvement will come in ODI because is where uh, I feel that uh, luck doesn't always pay. If you lack technique in the longer formats, if you lack, uh, I would say, awareness, if you lack uh, strategy, you go nowhere. And uh, in some terms, uh, we have people here like who have huge experience of county cricket or first grade cricket uh, in Australia, first class uh, in, uh, in South Africa as well. So we put them together and we hope uh, to have uh, the best possible mix. I always tell to my coaches that I'm looking at a cricket model like Brazil used to be for football or Cuba for volleyball. 
because they have all the players uh, spread worldwide and they never are able to coach them at the same time. Uh, so we have put in place a, a model where we coach uh, where the guys are and we use local coaches in order to have them uh, under control to f- make them feel part of a system, part of a team. And uh, we hope they will all uh, fight for the flag more than uh, for their uh, let's say, own specific uh, targets or interests. I think uh, it's very easy. Of course, as I said, we need to invest money. And that's uh, why the biggest part of my job now or for the next three months will be looking for rich sponsors. <laughs> and of course, there's, there's also a strategy behind that because uh, we know that uh, the, the next season will be amazing. If it even if not completely COVID-free, you know, we've been able to play more than uh, 250 games here in Italy this summer. From late July, say we lost already three months, to mid-November. And uh, it's a huge amount of cricket. And um, we haven't had a single case of COVID. We had one, but we know that wasn't cricket-related. So I think uh, that once we've put in place a fair protocol, everybody approached it with a smart approach, I would say. And uh, everybody's understood that uh, it was crucial to not underestimate the risk. And we had a lot of fun. I think that was one of the best seasons we ever had. Everybody enjoyed the organization. We have improved a lot uh, in terms of feedback regarding uh, the umpiring. We have managed to put a lot of new pitches around and that also was appreciated because of course when you play on an almost decent AstroTurf you, you already did uh, part of your uh, Sunday or uh, Saturday an happy day and uh, of course we still have a uh, lot to do but the next season uh, we have a potential of 500 games a lot of ECS a lot of European cricket uh, ICC events and so on and we need to focus at the same time on uh, on the roadmap uh, we have stated one and a half year ago. Of course, that uh, supposed that uh, I'll be there after March because we have new elections. <laughs> but I think uh, discussing with, uh, with ICC guidance uh, people, we feel we are doing uh, a decent job at the moment. Numbers are uh, good in terms of uh, control, I mean, and... Uh, I think we can only improve from that for the next 40 years. One of the interesting stories that we've seen come out is that cricket in Italy has been used as an integration tool to help refugees you know, become part of the community. So talk to us a bit more about that program with the, the refugee cricket initiatives. You know, uh, from my perspective, it's always better to talk about cricket as a sport than an integration tool because we've been talking about it as an integration tool for the last uh, 30 years. And now is maybe the moment to talk a bit more about the sport. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we feel uh, that's also a big opportunity. And, um, you know, we have discovered some talents in the um, migrants, um, as you say, those kind of compounds where they put all those people in. 
And uh, I remember an Afghan guy who, at the end of the story, he made he made it to the national uh, Afghan national uh, team. He didn't manage to play internationally, but he was in the setup, and he's been playing half a season uh, with us uh, uh, in my club. And it's amazing because uh, you see that uh, I've been. Uh, in those centers many, many times because uh, I loved not just to be in touch with uh, with different people from different cultures, but also if you can help, that's a big opportunity. Uh, it's not uh, a matter of marketing anymore there. It's a matter of humanity. And um, you see people who are there just turning their fingers around because they are not allowed to work because until they don't have the process for the papers and so on fixed, uh, it's uh, it's impossible for them to apply for a job. And uh, you go there with a bat and a tennis ball and uh, you, you see smiles around you. You give them your old kits and they are happy with that. You find... Uh, even, as I said, uh, amazing players, people who have been playing college cricket or uh, school cricket or uh, decent cricket uh, in the countries of origin. And so it makes uh, all the migration story different from our perspective. I don't think they are a resource for uh, Italian cricket, but they are an opportunity for sure uh, in terms of, uh, let's say, implementing the integration policies that we have in place in, a, in our country and giving them an opportunity to feel themselves a little bit more at home and uh, to see the possibility also of a pathway going to normality, a job enough fun in the weekends or in, when they have uh, the possibility. And I don't think it's uh, unfair to say that, of course, the government here doesn't have a clue. In Germany, they've been uh, booming with Afghans because they have acknowledged the fact that those people only wanted to play cricket. They didn't care for football or something else. They just wanted to play cricket and, uh, and they've provided them those possibilities. In Italy, they don't have a clue. On the other hand, we are not strong enough at the moment to face that. We've been doing a lot in the, in the past. We had a dedicated uh, weekend, which was then repeated in different weekends across the country for migrants. And that's why I invented the claim, uh, let's play cricket together, which is still nowadays the claim for Italian cricket. And um, you find that on our banners almost everywhere. And um, I think it's interesting. We got uh, some rewards from the Italian Olympic Committee for that, for those policies. Of course, uh, is is a very small project, but there's also the opportunity, European money, involved uh, in those kind of projects and i don't think that the european countries should rely on that money for their development of cricket but uh, there's at least the opportunity to develop that part and uh, that involves uh, our social responsibility that like any other company it's part of the business we are uh, looking at another very interesting area because I have that in mind now because it's been a recent discussion with uh, my marketing team. The, still, in terms of social responsibility, we are looking at a green cricket policies. Say Each part uh, I broke 
I plant a tree. So I have many broken beds in my garage. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't we all? Th thinking of uh, where we could go with that, you know, you talked about your time as president and elections in, in March, and you just talked about a lot of broken bats. You know, there's a lot of ways to segue into ICC politics. You know, we've just seen a new ICC chairperson elected. We had a, the associate rep as interim and fighting it out in, in Rankwaja from Singapore. We now have Greg Barclay in the seat after being elected after, uh, well, I guess being elected from all around the world because they weren't in one room. But um, how do you see this change affecting cricket's development from an associate point of view? Um, a friend of mine said uh, facts first. The last months uh, with Imran in place as uh, interim uh, chair have been uh, pretty interesting, I would say. Having the AM representative chair for a while uh, has allowed uh, certain uh, openings, I would say, towards the AM. For me, Imran would have been the perfect person because um, he's very inclusive. Of course, he's been part of a certain establishment, I would say, but always taking care of uh, the minnows, as we are. I would not say that uh, the new chair is, uh, is the wrong person. He's a sportsman, I would say. He's coming from rugby, so sportsmanship belongs to his background, for sure. Uh, he's a New Zealander, and I trust New Zealanders much more than you do. <laughs> oh, <wait. laughs> I, I, oh, you did get a slice into the Germans before, so that's that's fine. Look, I, yeah, I, I have an affinity for for Kiwis, but so that's that's for another podcast. You know, I, I mean, uh, if you see that Kiwis have dealt with the COVID nineteen uh, rather well with uh, a she prime minister, I was um, not surprised by the the efficiency, and uh, I hope they will do the same for cricket, even without ladies involved. I, if it was for me, I would uh, I would put a lady because ladies uh, normally are uh, much much better than men are in, uh, in cleaning uh, the mess. <laughs> <laughs> there was some talk of Indranuri running, but uh, it didn't didn't pan out. Well, that would have actually been someone that was independent, mm. not jumping from uh, the chair of a board straight into a in an independent seat. Anyway, this is Fabio's show. You, you keep talking, Fabio. Uh, I'm positive. I must be positive. Times have changed. I think certain uh, games in, in the background are over now. And uh, it's unfair to say that uh, the, the last governance did a bad job. I think Sashank uh, did a fantastic job for his leg and uh, Imran as well. David Richardson was a fantastic CEO as well. And of course... Uh, they did their job. They took care of their own interest. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised uh, of anybody else doing uh, any different. But they, they have pushed the pedal in uh, globalizing the game. Uh, and they have all been fans of the Olympics application. And they have all been fans of a fair approach towards pathways for growth for uh, smaller countries like Italy is. They see the potential, I mean, now, and uh, I've been surprised by the acceleration we've seen in the last 30 days. Um, the pace has now been set, and I would not be surprised if, if we have some nice surprise in the next uh, nine months. 
That sounds uh, ominous. Um, normally, when we talk about surprises in nine months, it's a, it's a lifelong commitment. Um, so, if we can take that analogy further, you know, this surprise in nine months, I'm, I'm going to take a, a wild guess. I think you said a magic word there as you were talking about the ICC's approach and hearing good things about the Olympics. You know, Italy gets mentioned in dispatches about funding. You know, you've talked about millions, and uh, I think earlier you mentioned Japan. Can you just summarize a little bit for everyone listening just what Olympic inclusion? would mean for the for the sport in Italy? First of all, I will not say I will be allowed to put my shoes in the table in the meeting rooms, uh, but <laughs> uh, on top of that, uh, it's not the, the matter of being the parvenue that is then suddenly as rich as the, the other guys. It's not just a matter of two to three million dollars or something like that is the approach in the facilities development which will be then due in order to allow me to run for Olympics qualification. It will be then uh, the costs for my employees being uh, borne by the state and um, then offices that are now developing an indoor center. It will cost us, I would say, a fortune related to our budget, because it will be between 20% of our budget, of our yearly budget, uh, goes into one single indoor center. And the cost is nothing compared to what Cricket Australia can spend for, uh, for an indoor facility. Cricket Australia can, can spend uh, half a million, we cannot. Cricket Australia doesn't even need to have a sports bank credit line in place and uh, we do need but uh, moreover it will be sponsors running because of course uh, there will be first movers and they will be big sponsors not small players because of course uh, cricket is big worldwide uh, then uh, you will immediately have uh, marketing uh, agents uh, trying to sell the dream to companies who need to partner with the uh, Indian companies, Indian customers, or uh, looking for different markets and so on. I have a couple of names here. One of them, which is very, very big uh, in uh, sweet things, has been uh, shooting um, a spot at uh, our cricket ground in Milan <laughs> for the Indian market. An Italian company goes to the Indian market to sell his stuff. It sounds strange for us, but it's also happening in business life. We don't just sell uh, cars uh, from Japan to India, we also sell uh, cars from Europe uh, to India. So I, I could expect uh, German automakers to be proud sponsors of, of German cricket. I would not say that Georgia Money could uh, <laughs> some nice jackets for our first test match, but I hope so in 10 years. <laughs> Well, you're you're probably the sharpest dressed guest we've had so far. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I can yeah I can attest to this. So, as I already mentioned, uh, visibility and more awareness for everybody that it will be a real business. Even the chair gets paid, which is no doubt something good for the explanation that I have to give to my family here. <laughs> <laughs> spend my time or my weekends but it's always uh, a way to explain how serious uh, this could be in a football country like uh, Italy is 
if you're working into a football environment in Italy, it's very normal. And uh, if you're a player, even at the fourth division level, you can earn money. In cricket, you don't earn money at the moment. And uh, that will allow to play professionally, to professionally plan their careers, invest in coaching kids in order to be uh, an Olympic champ in a few years or a professional player in a few years. The same way happens for many other sports, for skiing, for tennis, for golf, very, very similar. I don't think that a Brazilian kid well-coached would be any worse than an English talented guy. That's very clear for me. That will really help globalize the game. That will really help to see then the growth of countries where there's already a fitness coaching culture. You've seen that. Uh, I think that's also scary for countries like India, Pakistan. They had a, a certain heritage in uh, hockey, as you might remember, in the 70s especially. And then suddenly it happened that hockey was played from not on turf anymore, but on a synthetic and so countries like Germany or uh, Holland exploded because uh, they were physically uh, well uh, coached, well trained, fit, and, and their facilities were better. So we can close the gap. That's my idea. In 10 years, uh, I think if we go to the Olympics in 10 years, we'll see many different countries in the top 10 with the, all the due respect to countries like, I, I don't know, if you pick the list, uh, you, you already understand. I don't think that picking a decent coach at a decent budget, you, you can uh, get any worse result uh, because you lack cricket culture in your country. You pick uh, individuals, uh, well, and the right coach, you have uh, amazing results everywhere in the world. So it, uh, I, I trust the Japanese uh, with the, all the amount of money they could uh, rely on, <laughs> could do a fantastic job. They already do it. And uh, they've done a fantastic job in Japan in the, the last years. And uh, not just in terms of promotion, but also in development. With the budget, uh, you can do plenty, plenty of things. And uh, it's not just schools or, or uh, You can really improve technically. You can really set up fantastic coaching staff. You can involve professionals. And uh, as I said, you, you pick 10, 15 uh, fit kids, uh, seven years, eight years, uh, and you coach them for the next 10 years, uh, you ha will have a very, very strong uh, team in uh, 10 years after, no doubt. Yeah, the Olympics is one thing that basically everyone we talk to in, in associate cricket, yeah. that's just, that's the thing that they say will make the biggest difference a lot of the time. Yeah. So we've only got a couple more questions, um, but if you could change, if you could change one law in cricket, what would it be and why? So I'll give you a couple of moments to think about that if you want, Fabio. Mankat. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Completely abolish. <laughs> right. What's the solution then? Just go back, go back to the former version. So what if, what if batsmen are running out, you know, backing up too much? I don't know. I, I, I would say warning uh, for, for the first uh, and penalty runs, huge penalty runs. Okay. Uh, it, it pays much more than something else because he's aiming for, for a, an extra run uh, from an unfair position. If he gets 10 penalty runs or five penalty runs, his scope uh, will be immediately, let's say, reduced uh, at a lower level. <laughs> in, in my point of view, it's unfair the way 
bowlers apply that? Because uh, I, if you're in the bowling stride, it's impossible to mancat. Yeah, yeah, I see where you're coming from. And uh, if you're looking to bowl, you're bowling. So you want to stop like fake bowling, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I do. I definitely understand that idea of it because when you're man catting, it's almost like you're looking to do it. You're not looking to bowl first. You're looking to run out first, bowl second. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. I think, yeah, penalising batting teams for, for stealing too much ground instead. If, he, if you're stealing one run and, you, uh, and you're getting five, I think the, 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 the bat will, uh, will stay in tri- inside the crease. So you think that having the penalty runs will be something that people are more willing to actually apply because there's always the reluctance to do a man cat and so that's, that's why the batsman never get punished because nobody actually man cats them and, and so then they just keep trying to steal runs. It's a matter of... Uh of approach. Uh, it's the way you've been taught to play cricket. I never see man cats from certain kind of players, let's say. I will not take uh, or point my finger at international players or uh, certain countries, or, but I don't think you see that much man cat certain players, I would say, because um, they've been taught that it is unfair. It's n- Simply not cricket, <laughs> and uh, and what's not cricket is uh, is not fair. And uh, I think, of course, that uh, stealing the run is unfair as well. So to balance, the uh, bowler has the possibility to let's say appeal and say, okay, take a look what he's doing. The umpire has to warn the first time and apply the rule uh, the second, simply giving the penalty runs. I don't think that's, uh, that's unfair. Once you're aware, you don't see you, how many penalty runs you see applied uh, in normal games. Very few, because everybody is aware that the rule is in place. And I'm not against uh, uh, red cards and yellow cards as well. Oh, yeah. That's not a bad idea, yeah. I think I saw that they were sort of experimenting with that. Maybe it was in England with some, some in some club games? Already, it's already in the rules now. Okay, sure, yeah. But yeah, I, I think, I mean, I'm all for red and yellow cards. I, I think they're great. Because then there's an on-field consequence. That's always the thing that I think needs to happen to enforce something. The, the, there needs to be a consequence in terms of the actual game and affecting the game. Of course, w- w- any kind of uh, unfair uh, behavior must be punished. Should it be aggression towards uh, uh, opponents or umpires or uh, sledging uh, beyond the limits, uh, appealing beyond the limits, which is another thing which I don't like at all. When, uh, when I see people screaming for a ball that was uh, clearly going uh, outside the leg, uh, I say, well, why then? Because the bowler is the first who should uh, be aware that you appeal, but you don't get an LBW because you're screaming more than the... (laughs) (laughs) And of course, I I always have the impression that when the umpire is in a bit of a weak position, maybe a cause of uh, form of decision against the, the bowling side, he feels that kind of pressure. And uh, that's used in the, the wrong way. So I would also punish maybe more over appealing. 
Yeah, I don't know. Well, from thinking from my time as an umpire, I always felt this might just because I'm a bit of a, a contrary person, but whenever they were appealing too much, my first thought was, well, I don't want to give anything to you guys now. Like, it's obviously that's the wrong way to go, but that was that was my first, like, feeling about it. You know, I, I never appealed uh, screaming, never in my life. I'm a part-time bowler. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Full tosses caught on the boundary. Yeah, that's, no, that's... no, 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 that kind. Uh, but simply, I, I, I was the opening batsman of my club, uh, so I was not supposed to bowl uh, that much. But I've been bowling uh, a while more in social games uh, and so on. But when I was appealing, I was simply <laughs> using my normal voice. I was see, I was there. I think uh, screaming is useless. You, you just you just uh, have to say your your umpire. Uh, that's a question. It's not uh, you're not an animal. I would say. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Well, Fabio Marabini, thank you so much for joining us here on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Great to have you on talking all things Italian and European cricket. Uh, good luck with everything into 2021 and beyond. Hopefully we see you in the same position next year as well. And once again, good luck with everything going on. Many, many thanks again and uh, hope to see you soon, maybe in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> Ciao. Bye, bye, bye.